Our continuing discussion about how to raise godly kids in a godless age takes us today to the most famous verse in all of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Who should we trust? Who should our kids trust? And why? When we find the answer to these questions, we will know the will of God. Let's rejoin our study leader, Dave Wurtson, and find out why trust is so fundamental to the wise individual. Suppose I told you that the message I was going to give you today would absolutely assure you that you would be healthy, that you would be wealthy, that you would be accepted in the community, you would have a great reputation, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Suppose I announced last week, I, you come out this Sunday and I promise you that I'm going to teach you some things that will guarantee that you will be healthy, wealthy, really respected. Not necessarily popular, but you will be respected within the community. And most of all, probably the, the greatest gift of all would be the reality that you'll have peace in your heart. Because I think that's probably what almost all of you want more than anything else. You want to be at rest. You want to have this, that sense of completeness, that sense of wholeness in your heart. Well, the passage of Scripture we want to look at today is going to promise us those exact things. And what we're going to do is we're going to learn some basic realities of the, of the foundation of the will of God for our life. I want to study today probably the verse in Proverbs that's put up, been put on more walls, is in more homes, if I was to ask you what's the most famous verse in the book of Proverbs, it's Proverbs what? 3, 5, and 6. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 4, we need to internalize the authoritative teaching of this wise mom and dad that we're studying together. Then we're going to learn that we need to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. We need to internalize the instruction of our daddy then we need to trust our daddy. And I want to talk to you about what it means to trust your heavenly daddy. We're going to find out that it's related, it's related to reverencing him and enjoying an intimate relationship with him. Then we're going to learn that one of the objective ways that we can know that we are trusting our daddy is what we do with our checkbook. And Proverbs is going to meddle a little bit and is going to ask me and is going to ask you what do you do with your money? What does your money show about your priorities in life? And then we're going to close the message by raising one of the very difficult challenges to trusting our Heavenly Father. And that is, what do you do when everything turns sour? What does it do when things are not coming through? So we're going to first of all say we need to internalize the wise teaching of our Daddy. Then we need to trust our Daddy. One of the most objective ways to know whether you are trusting your daddy is what you do with your money. And then one of the biggest challenges in life is will you trust your daddy when it looks like he's not coming through? Now that's all that we want to talk about. For those of you that are going to go to sleep, you can go to sleep now because you've got the whole message down. But let's develop it a little bit. My son, we begin in chapter 3, verse 1. My son... Proverbs is dealing with the family context. I want you to think this morning as if God is just talking things over with you as a daddy. I want you to think of being down maybe on Lake Whitney and you've gone fishing with your dad and the fishing isn't too good and so your dad just kind of 
puts his pole lazily there and says, son, daughter, let me share with you. And he says, my son, and it has all that kind of intimacy, that family relationships. Maybe some of you didn't have a godly daddy, and so it's hard for you to relate to that. Maybe your daddy was just the opposite from God. Maybe he was a bully. Maybe he was mean. If that was so, please don't turn me off emotionally. Realize that you can still be loved by a real daddy, a heavenly daddy, who will never let you down. Don't run away from that tender family terminology of my son, my daughter, maybe because of some bad experience that you had when you were a kid. My son, my instruction. The word that's used there is Torah. And that's a good Jewish word. You often think of Judaism when you think of the Torah. But it's awfully easy for it to be overloaded with a lot of terminology, a lot of meaning that really isn't in the original text. In the book of Proverbs, the word Torah just simply means the wise, practical instruction for living that the godly father in this book is sharing with us. It means instruction learned by experience. In fact, a lot of the things in Proverbs you can read in any of the ancient wisdom literature. God, in His common grace to all men, causes us not to be as dumb as we might be. And even unbelieving men, even men in secular cultures can learn some of the very practical realities of living. And God chose, because He loved us so much, to share those practical, everyday kinds of principles. Even coming down to such, such practical matters as how to eat at a table with a governor of the land and how not to make a, a fool out of yourself because of your bad manners. God gets down even into that kind of real nitty-gritty practical things. So don't think of Moses' Ten Commandments completely. That's part of it. In fact, a lot of ways it's the heart and soul of the law. But Proverbs, rather than approaching it as a thus saith the Lord, approaches it more like a dead, sharing life experience. So he says, my son, my parental practical teaching, don't forget it. Kids, how many of your parents have ever said, now don't forget this. Kids, you ever hear that? Well, they're being very biblical when they talk like that. They're starting right in here. The father says, my son, my parental instruction, don't forget it. And he says, it's my commandments, my authoritative instructions for living. Guard it in your heart. Keep it. Guard it. It's a very good way of translating this. Guard it in your heart. Now, we use the word heart for your emotions. And if I say to Mary, I love you, honey, with all my heart, it means that emotionally at that moment, because she looks so sharp and it's such an exciting time and maybe we've gotten rid of the kids, that it's one of those very romantic times that I say, I love you with all my heart. Because in English, we use the word heart as the seat of the emotions. In Hebrew, they use the kidneys for that seat of your emotions for very obvious reasons. People always, when they go to the doctor's office, have problems with their emotions and they have to visit you know where before they go in to see the doctor. And that's why the Hebrews, the Hebrews were very gutsy, earthy people. That's why they used the kidneys as the seat of the emotions. But they used the heart as the center of a person's existence, the center of their personality, including all three facets, the intellect, emotion, and will, primarily with a focus on the will. The dad is saying to his son, son, don't forget what I'm teaching you. I want you to guard it in the very center of your personality. I want you to guard the authoritative teaching that we're presenting. Now, this isn't my authoritative teaching. 
When I used to teach Proverbs, you know, people used to be able to sit there and go, wait till he gets a teenager. I even had a mom and dad come up to me and they said, well, you know, we really like what you teach at Maranatha Bible Camp, but boy, we can hardly wait till you get some kids and then you'll really know something. I want you to dissociate my authority from the authority of the wife's daddy in Proverbs. The wife's daddy in Proverbs raises a lot of kids. Very confident at it. And I'm trying just to share with you objectively and also from my heart what this authoritative daddy, not an authoritative in an authoritarian way. Do you know the difference between someone who's authoritarian and someone who's an authority? An authoritarian is someone that is just loud and boisterous and directive, but there's a good chance they might not have the foggiest idea how to do something. That's being authoritarian. That's yelling at your kids, you're going to do it my way, no other way, you're going to do it because I told you. And the kid said, why? Don't ask your mom and dad why. That's authoritarian. The parent might be wise, they might be a total idiot. They might not have the foggiest idea what they're doing. In fact, if they can't answer the question why, there's a very good possibility that they have not invested the energy into finding out why they're putting certain rules and stipulations. That's authoritarian. Our culture doesn't need authoritarian parents, but we need authoritative parents. Remember when we, we began our study, we talked about a monastery parent? That's the authoritarian parent. Then we talked about the lazy, fair parent. That's the passive parent who's leaving everything open to experimentation. What our society desperately needs is some moms and dads that really know this book, and they're not authoritarian, but they are authoritative. I want to look at every one of you dads. This dad can look at their kids and say, son, daughter, don't forget the authoritative realities about life that I commanded you about. And it uses the word command. Boy, we need some dads that can get their courage back. That really know about life. Oh, I trust with all my heart that you dads aren't out there sailing around trying to find yourselves. Trying to find out what you're going to do when you grow up. It's not time for me to decide what I'm going to do with my life. What I'm going to be committed to. What my morals are going to be. What my religious beliefs are going to be. It's not time to be experimenting. You need to nail it down. Because I've got another generation to raise. So do you. That's one of the greatest problems in American society. We have adults that don't want to be adults. Everyone's still waiting to grow up. This dad has grown up. He said, son, don't forget the principles about reality that I taught you. Don't forget the authoritative commandments that I ask you to guard in your heart. And then the dad says, why? This dad's not afraid, and dads don't ever be afraid of why. He says, because son, I want you to live a long time. How many of you would like to live many days and have the years of your life lengthened out? How many would you like that? How many of you... You know, if you had your druthers, you'd rather live a little bit longer than, say, the next two years. Anybody here want to live longer than the next couple of years? Some of you that are very depressed, you know, you're ready to go home to be with the Lord right now. That's not really holy. The Lord wants you to be ready to go to Him. But right now, according to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's your time under the sun. The Lord wants you to be expecting His coming, but He wants you to be occupying till He's come, till He comes. The Lord wants you to take the talents you have and multiply them. Life is a very precious thing. Don't get down on life as a believer. And what the text is telling you, he says, the son says, Dad, what do you want me to listen to what you say? And the dad says, because you'll live a little bit longer. Let me illustrate that. 
When you're a teenager, you're going to be tempted like crazy to drive 85 miles an hour. I promise you. In fact, if we had testimony times, mom and dad, let's have testimony times. Mom and dad, how many of you have ever pushed the accelerator all the way to the floor? How many of you have almost lost it at 90 miles an hour? Come on, be honest. You see, we all laugh about that. But the truth of the matter is, the scripture, and I've done it too, I used to push my dad's Chrysler. We used to go up to Montreal, and when you get out of the Adirondacks, it's just straight flying to Montreal for about an hour and a half. Right at just flat as a whistle, kind of like being on the Texas Plains. It's just marshland right into Montreal. Man, and you're out of the United States, and the speed limits are a little bit higher, and boy, we just floor that baby. You know, at 100, it would begin to shake a little bit. At 110, it leveled out. You know, things really smoothed out. Why didn't moms and dads say, now don't you drive like that? They want you to live a little bit longer. Now we laugh about that. And a lot of you teenagers, you have the idea of, see, mom and dad tried it. You see, that's why mom and dad are saying, don't do it. In fact, a race car driver would be the person that would tell you the most not to do that. If I had a race car driver here today... He would say, you're an idiot to drive that car that fast. I would never drive that car that fast. It's not equipped for it. You don't have a helmet on. A lot of you don't even remember to put your belt on. The most skilled drivers in the world would be the ones that would stand here and say, I would never do that. It's totally out of control. And you would say, why not? You're taking my freedom away. The race car driver would say, listen, I'm an authority on driving. I want you to live. I don't want you to be bent over a telephone pole. You're young. I want you to live a little bit longer than 18. Now that's a very concrete example. But it's true of all the instructions this daddy's giving. What this daddy's saying is, listen to what I say and you'll be a whole lot safer. You're going to make it through those wild, tumultuous adolescent years and you're going to make it through safely. And you're going to live a lot longer. And I plead with you to do that. I hate having teenage funerals, to be honest with you. I really do. I hate bearing teenagers. But it, it, many times it's such a terrible tragedy. You know what Proverbs is saying? Some of the kids die because they didn't listen to wise, authoritative, not authoritarian, but wise, authoritarian, authoritative teaching. You see, it worked that way in the sexual area. The reason kids, Proverbs are going to tell you, we're going to be very blunt when we get to Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Proverbs are going to tell you to not have sexual intercourse with someone that doesn't belong to you. It's just going to be really blunt. It's not going to be like someone is teaching you here. It's just going to tell you. Don't do it. You say, why not? Because you'll be healthier if you don't. You won't go to bed with someone that's been infected with AIDS. And then find out you've got about three years to live if you listen to what the book of Proverbs says. You see, all the kids at school might think they know much, much better, but there are some people, we do have about four or 5,000 years of civilization behind us. And you all as parents all think you live in such a new age. You don't live in such a new age. I can show you the kind of struggles that we're having in our culture with the struggles they had in ancient Egypt. It's the struggle they had in ancient Greece. It's the struggles they had in Ephesus and Asia Minor. Life doesn't change a whole lot. And the book of Proverbs is so relevant because of that. And what it's just saying here is you're going to live a whole lot longer if you obey what the book of Proverbs is teaching. And all of it says you're going to have peace. 
It says here, and peace, that marvelous Hebrew word shalom. And that's a word I wish I could label over all of your lives. You all don't realize how delicate your personalities are. When you're young especially, you don't realize how delicate your personality is. Just mix a little bit of the wrong drugs into your mental up, you know, your, your mental makeup. And you can throw everything off kilter. Those of us a little bit older know that it's hard enough to hold your personality together under stress. It's hard enough to think healthy kind of thoughts. To be able to guard yourself against that emotional, irrational side. There's a beautiful emotional side, but there's also a very chaotic, a very extreme a side of our emotional lives that kind of comes upon us like a dark cloud at times, and it's very hard for us to put labels on it. In a healthy mind, you're able to filter it out. You're able to handle it. But in an unhealthy mind, especially when a mind has stopped following the principles of Proverbs and stopped living skillfully, then you can so easily get off balance. And some of us have seen just a personality that just comes unraveled like a ball of twine. And you just realize how delicate our personality is. The Father in Proverbs is saying, listen, the kind of teaching I'm giving you, the kind of instructions I'm sharing with you, will give you a wholeness inside your personality. It'll give you a healthy emotional life. It'll give you peace. It'll also save you from a lot of hassles with external enemies as well. Because the book of Proverbs tells you how to get along with people and how not to make enemies and how to be a faithful, trustable kind of a person. And so the father promises, son, listen, I'll give you, give you peace. Now verse 3 goes back and reaffirms exactly what I've just taught you. Verses 3 and 4 just repeat the thoughts of verses 1 and 2 just a little bit different. And it begins a very interesting way. Look how it begins. Kindness and truth do not abandon you. Don't abandon kindness and truth. Bind them upon your neck. In other words, like you would wear a signet around your neck or the way you would wear something that you don't ever want to forget. Bind that around your neck. And then a very graphic image, write it, inscribe it, take an iron chisel and chisel it out upon the tablet of your heart. Now I want you to see something very strange in this book. How many of you as you sit here today really think that I'm teaching you kindness and truth? You know what makes me cringe? As I talk to a lot of people, you mention the word God and people automatically think of, oh no, boring, rules and regulations. You know one of the hardest things for me as a preacher to do is to get some of you over your background. Some of you have been railed out all your life. From the time you've been small, from the time you've been small, you feel, give your life to God, there goes life. Everything that's fun, everything that's, that's nice that I enjoy goes out the window. You are thoroughly convinced about that. Some of you feel, I give my life to God. Man, there I go, mission field. Boy, I'm going to be like one of those weird Wycliffe people. They bounce it out. You find out we've got a lot of Wycliffe people with us here. They're not so weird, are they? When you really get to know them, you find out, hey, they're people. They're just normal, everyday people. And I want to share something with you. If you really obey the teaching of the Word, not all of you are going to be sitting up where I'm sitting. There are some of you out there 
that were taught for years that if you were going to obey God and please God, that you had to do what I'm doing. You had to be a preacher. And some of you were not gifted to preach. You'd stutter. You would get nervous. You'd vomit. You'd be so upset about speaking before an audience. And therefore, you went into another occupation and you might be very good at it. But you're not a preacher. I heard about a guy last night was sharing. You know, his brother's not a preacher. His brother's a marvelous accountant, a CPA. That's what he's really gifted at doing. He's not a public speaker. He's very detailed, very much mathematically oriented. But he lived all of his life under this horrible cloud. I'm not a preacher. Out of the will of God. I think there's a lot of you that are like that. I think there's a lot of kids that really don't believe that God's instructions are kind and there's truth. You know what this world desperately needs? We need a daddy who is kind and who is reliable and true. And this is the daddy that has those two attributes. The first word means that he has loyal love for you. How many of you would like to have a friend who will enter into an intimate relationship with you and then he will always maintain the loving responsibilities of that friendship, of that parental relationship, of that lover relationship, he will never, never fail on his end. How many of you would like to have that? That's what this book is promising. God's commandments, God's instructions are the expression of his loyal love for you. Please hear me when I say that. You say, well, Dave, you mean I'm not going to have to go to the mission field? Not necessarily. But I want to share with you something. The Lord might ask you to go to the mission field, but if He asks you to go to the mission field, it'll be the neatest life you could ever have. What I want you to realize is if the Lord asks you to go to the mission field, you'll get on the mission field, and if the Lord really wants you on the mission field, it'll be the most kind, the most loving, the most fantastic thing you could have ever done. You all have totally the wrong idea. You have the idea. You suffer everything for God. And then you say, God, take it. Here's my life. And God goes, ha, 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 I got another stupid idiot. Wipe their life out good. Now, you would never talk like that, but I know that emotionally, a lot of you labor under that at times. It's guilt. You're not winning enough souls today. Have you talked to enough people? What's wrong with you? Oh, get down on your knees. Let's really love God more. You know, as I started to grow older, I started to ask myself, would anybody want to have the kind of a life that I have? Loaded with so much guilt and always feeling under terrible obligation, never being able to measure. I mean, you just can't please this boss, ever. Man, you always got to get yelled at. You always have to measure up. And I think as I talk to you, some of you still can't escape that idea of God. And oh, I plead with you to listen to me. There's only one ultimate being in all the universe who is really, completely and authentically kind. Loyal to you like you would not believe. That's why you need to give your life to Him. Because He's kind. God is kind. He's loving. He's loyal to you. And the other thing is He's reliable. He's true. You know, I've built my life on a lot of things and then found out it wasn't true. God says, listen, you obey what I teach you. And the longer you live, 
the more true you'll find out it to be. And God says, I promise you, my son, I promise you, my daughter, if you respond to what I teach you in this holy book, you'll get to be 70 years old, if I will. And you'll look back over your life and say, boy, I made the right choice. I lived for authenticity. I lived for what was true. I didn't lose the preciousness of this life. God's commandments are loyal and they're true. Don't abandon them. You need to write them. You need to internalize them upon the towel of your heart. The Arabs have an expression means to take a needle and inscribe it right on the corner of your eye. Just write it there. That hurts a little bit. But it means that you need to just take these commandments and engrave them deep in your heart. Why should you do that? Again, the question, why? You'll find grace and you'll find a good reputation in the eyes of both God, vertical relationship, and man. Our Lord Jesus himself increased in wisdom and stature, both in the vertical relationship with his Father God, but also in the horizontal relationship of his reputation and his character before his fellow man. As we follow him, we too will increase in this kind of wisdom and our children as well can follow their Savior in becoming like him in having a good reputation before men and having a right relationship with God. This is Dave Wurtson, and in our next time together on Truth Encounter, we're going to be continuing this important exposition and discovery of probably the classic verses on the will of God in the entire book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I hope that you'll be able to join us.